Amen. I am uh, very grateful and uh, expectant and uh, terrified and excited and all kind of adjectives to uh, have this opportunity this morning. I, I love you guys. I don't know all of you in this room, but uh, over the last two years going I've been here, um, uh, you know, church is about these incredible relationships we, we build with each other in Christ. And uh, so I'm very excited to have this opportunity. I am... Um, have a heart that God's been speaking to, and I'm going to share it with you. I didn't realize that when I was working on wrestling with God through these things, that uh, when Josh asked me to preach, that it was Palm Sunday. This is Palm Sunday. Passion Week. Passion means suffering. We're contemplating today the suffering of our Savior. And his death. Next week. Oh, thank you. Any any kids that need to leave? I think all our kids are out of town this morning. Really <laughs> um, next week is the resurrection, and Tommy's going to share with us about that. Today, though, is Passion Week. And Palm Sunday um, is about the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ is the pinnacle of all history, is it not? I mean, there, there's not a more important thing to contemplate and focus on than what we're talking about today and next week in the whole history of the world. I see people looking all over. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we're here, Lord, and you're here. And we know that by your Spirit, you're speaking to us. You are preparing our hearts to receive. You've been preparing our hearts to receive. And Father, we just ask you to fill fresh each of us and give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I've got a question for you. Not really a trick question, but here it is. Does the gospel of Jesus call us to life or to death? I said life or death. Or should not be in there, right? He calls us to life and death. And notice, we're talking about the death of Jesus today. And that precedes Easter. Death comes before life. It's a principle in creation. Amen? So, Christianity, in an amazing way, weaves life and death together into a profound, beautiful thing. I want to give you a few scriptures. I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures this morning. I didn't give the sound booth uh, anything to put up for you. So if you do have a pen and a pencil, write these scriptures down. If not, I'll get them to you later if you want. But listen to how life and death are melded together in the Word of God. I am crucified with Christ, Paul says. Nevertheless, I, I live. 
Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Hallelujah. No, so you should consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Death and life. Paul says we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. Amen? Our faith melds these things together. There's a, a popular chorus, a popular song, and this comes from the chorus. Most of you will recognize these words. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. Great words. Are you chosen? Are you not forsaken? You're not forsaken. He'll never leave us or forsaken. Is God for you? You bet. We are who he says we are. That relates to our identity in Christ. We, we talk a lot in the church about who we are in Jesus. That phrase, in Jesus, is at the very heart of what it means to know Christ and, and live the gospel. We are placed in Christ. And we have a new identity in Christ. But this is what I want you to stay with me now. It is my experience that in the body of Christ, when we think about our identity in Jesus, we tend to embrace and emphasize the life part more than the death part. The positive things more than what we might call the negative things. Let me, let me give you an example. I am, in Christ, I am chosen and beloved. In Christ, I am forgiven. In Christ, I'm the righteousness of God. I'm free from the law of sin and death. We've already had the Spirit touch on these things this morning. I am a new creation in Christ. In Christ, I am blessed with every spiritual blessing. Not just a few, every spiritual blessing. In Christ, I am more than a conqueror. I like that. More than a conqueror. I don't know how you can get more than a conqueror, but that's what Jesus says we are in Him. This is good stuff, and we need to saturate our hearts and minds with that identity. But stay with me now. What if I said, in Christ, I'm a sheep among wolves. In Christ, I'm a pilgrim in a strange land. In Christ, I'm a fool for Christ's sake. In Christ, I am hated by the world. In Christ, I am content with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. In Christ, I am a suffering servant called to die. Is that true as well? Is that my identity in Christ as well, according to Scripture? Say amen so much. <laughs> That's the side that we don't focus on as much. 
Amen? That's true. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you may have heard of him, had a, a statement that I think is so true and so powerful. He said, when Christ bids a man to come, he bids him to come and die. We are called to life. Eternal life, incredible life. Life that starts now. And we're tasting it, we're experiencing it, but we are also called into death. Now, I want to think about that for a minute. This is the call that God placed on his own son. He said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. He says that about us, because we're in Christ, right? You are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter, and I'm well pleased in you, because you're in my son. In this son of mine, I sent to the world to suffer and die. That he might become the very source of life for the world he came into. Life and death. But the Son that our Father loved and loves, calls beloved, was sent to die. Are you with me? Now, listen to this. John 12, 26, excuse me, 23 through 26 says this of Jesus. Jesus says this, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This is John 12, start verse 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He didn't say the hour has come for me to be crucified. He said the hour has come for me to be glorified. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? Jesus is equating his crucifixion with glory. I don't usually think that way. I don't think positively about dying. Crucifixion is something that is a horrible thing in my sight. But Jesus is saying, I've come to this time to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life in this world loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And then he says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. What's Jesus saying to us? He says, take up your cross and follow me. When he says follow me, that's what he means. I came to this world sent by my father, the beloved of my father, to go and lay my life down. To die. Follow me. Follow me then. Take up your death. It's interesting. Jesus said this to his disciples in Luke 14, 26 and 27. If you want to be my follower, you must love me more than your own father and mother. Your wife and your children, your brother and your sister, yet even more than your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot be my disciple if you do not carry your own cross and follow me. Man. And then he goes into a couple of little, this is in Luke 14, uh, 
recommend you spend some time there. Then he says, but don't begin this following unless you first count the cost. So he says. And he gives a couple of stories about building a tower. Make sure you sit down and have the funds and the means to begin or to, to, to complete what you've begun. And then he gives a, a, a story of if you're going to go into battle, make sure you've got the troops to win. Understand and count the cost before you commit to follow. And then he says, no one can be my disciple without giving up everything for me. My brothers and sisters, I love this book, as I know you do. But it troubles me. It troubles me. There's so much wonderful life statements that we love to memorize and quote. But we must remember this is the whole word of God to us. We cannot pick and choose. As we contemplate Christ and following Him and what our identity is in this world. Who are we in this world? We've got to take the whole word of God and eat it. Amen? No one can be my disciple without giving up everything for me. What does Jesus mean by take up your cross and follow and give up everything? It certainly means what we typically think of in regards to this. The crucifixion of our flesh. Right? What does it mean to die for ourselves? It means putting to death the flesh, the, the, the person I was. I'm crucified in Christ. And now I get to walk that out in the power of the Spirit. I get to learn to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions in this present age. Amen? That's a power of grace in our lives. I can say no to sin now and have fun doing it. I used to have fun saying yes to sin. Now if I say yes to sin, I don't have fun. Because the Spirit convicts me. Because I'm in Christ. So it means I die to having my own way. I die to my wants. To my rights. To my freedoms. To my hopes. To my dreams. To my ambitions. To my reputation. To my acceptance by others. To my passions. Etc., etc. I die to those things. Now, if I interject instead of saying my hopes and say his hopes, it changes everything. I live for his hopes for me. I live for his passions. For me, you see, but mine has got to go. Myself has got to go. I die. But never forget, in that process of dying, it's the indwelling Holy Spirit who does that work. We cannot do it ourselves. Amen? It's got to be the power of the Spirit. The old man will die as we yield to his powerful grace at work in us. But this is what I want to get to. Is everybody okay so far? You're talking about it? We gotta go deeper than this. We're called to a, a deeper death than just dying to our fleshly old men. 
We are called to suffering and even death. Two basic sources of suffering in life, I think. First, the suffering that goes, all the suffering that goes with living in a fallen, cursed world. Amen? That kind of suffering is common to all of us. Lost or saved? Death. Cancer. Hurricanes. Tornadoes. COVID. You name it. It is suffering in this world because we live in a world that is still under the curse. Right? There's another kind of suffering. It's not common to all men. It's common to you and me if we're in Christ. It's called persecution. The suffering of persecution that comes because of a fearless identification with Jesus Christ and his work. Amen? Listen to me. There are times and seasons in the history of the church. There are times of peace, and there are times of trouble and persecution. And that those seasons are not necessarily uniform around the globe. There might be peace here and persecution there. But that's the history of the church. The scriptures teach us that suffering and suffering is the default mode of those who fearlessly stand for Jesus Christ. You agree with that? That is the default mode. And you and I, the Americans, have lived in a time where the church has been in a place of favor. It used to be that a preacher was one of the most respected people in the community. Those days are gone. <laughs> the pages of Scripture drip with this truth that suffering and death are the default mode of the people of God in this fallen world if we're standing in the place we should. The time of favor is over. For us in this country. You see it? You smell it? Persecution is coming. We can pray, we can try and pray away, but it's coming. That's why I'm speaking to you the way I am today, because it's true. And I hope when you leave here, you're going to see it in a way that is redemptive, not oppressive. Amen? Because it's not oppressive, it's glorious. My time has come to be glorified. Apostle Paul says to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.12, Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's, that's stated like a promise, isn't it? <laughs> if you're going to be really serious, you're going to suffer persecution. Far too many people, you know and I know, I don't want to be one of them. I've fallen by the wayside because they encountered trials and tribulations and maybe even persecutions that destroyed their confidence in a faithful, loving God. 
They questioned his truth and his promises because of their circumstances, because of suffering. And they turned against God. They doubted God. Do you know anybody in that position? I do. I know a lot of them. It's happening more and more. And it's heartbreaking. Maybe it's because we have focused too much on our identity and victory. Although I would say it's all victory, but the emphasizing the victory side and the life side instead of making sure we understand that our identity is also to die and to suffer. And if we don't have that in our worldview and our Christian identity, we're going to be blindsided. And when the suffering comes, certainly when the persecution comes, we're in trouble. We all are familiar with the parable of the sower, or some call it the parable of the four soils. And the seed that fell on the rocky soil, it says, the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. It's in Matthew 13, verse 20 and 21. So our understanding of our identity in Christ must include the whole truth. Or we set people up for fall. Why did God allow this to happen to me? Why this? Why not? Where is God? It's okay to believe, to, to, to struggle with that. Read the Psalms. <laughs> read, read David. I've, I've been reading the Psalms where David's fleeing for his life, living in caves and running here and there, hiding. And the Psalms he writes out of that are glorious. Which gets to my point. Uh, what is this business about suffering? Why can't it be all glory? Why can't it be all life? And my identity is victory. Well, let's, let's go to the scripture. I'm going to read a lot of scripture because it says it's much better than anything I can say. Amen? So I'm not putting anything up, but please, I hope you're wide awake because I think this is important for us to hear. And let's hear some of the passages we don't usually spend a lot of time on and realize they're just as important for us as the ones we love to listen to. Okay? Let's start with the suffering of Jesus himself. Our Savior, the one who says, follow me, did he suffer in this world? Of course, we, we see the cross first and foremost. Of course, but there has been no greater suffering than Christ did at the cross for our salvation. But he was also driven by the Spirit, don't miss that, driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Forty days he's in the wilderness with no food, no water open to the elements and one of the gospels speaks of here the wild animals and then the devil comes when he's the weakest and he wins the victory that Adam had lost for us. We're suffering. It says in Isaiah he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. All of you the son it says in Hebrews he learned obedience to what he suffered. What about the Apostle Paul? Paul suffered. Paul defended his apostleship over and over again. 
with, against those false apostles and those, those uh, proud apostles who competed with Paul for the uh, uh, affections of the people of God. And they were deceiving people. And Paul said, hey, don't doubt my call. And you know what the proof of my call is? And he wrote all over the letters of the New Testament, my suffering. My suffering is the proof of my apostleship. Not my victory. In fact, you go, I'm going to take the time. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and Paul's making his, his defense, he speaks of these, I, I forget the word he uses for them, these false apostles, but he says, you, you are kings. Uh, you, you reign. All these times. But we apostles, talking about himself, we suffer. We're homeless. We go around in bad clothes. We actually get to the point that we are considered the scum of the earth. It's a different mindset, isn't it? Paul's defending himself by saying, look who we are in this world. The real apostles. we got to hear this. We're going to be balanced in our understanding of the gospel and our call. Listen to some of the things Paul says about his suffering. 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 10. In everything we do, he's defending himself here, in everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. See, you're seeing again the victory mixed with the death. Listen. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and in the left hand for defense. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored, even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Listen to this. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. I want you to remember that one. Our hearts ache. We suffer. We're close to death. But we always have joy. Because it's still true that we're victors, you see. And you're going to see that in some of these scriptures I'm reading. In the New Testament, almost always, and it talks about suffering, it's coupled with joy. Which is amazing. We are poor. You hear that? We are poor. But we get spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, yet we have everything. What a mentality. How does that differ from what we think so much of the time in the fat, sassy, lazy church in the United States? Second Corinthians 11, 23-27. Paul says, I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number. And faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Don't miss that. If you know anything about the 39 lashes, uh, if it didn't kill you, you wished you were dead. Because you're right at the door. 
And Paul says, that happened to me five times. Why? Because I love Jesus more than my own life. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And I think he was stoned that time that counts in Acts. I think he was dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, on the seas, and I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. That one gets me. I love my sleep. Don't I, darling? I have been hungry, thirsty, and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Oh man, this is the Torah scripture life, huh? And Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Jesus says, follow me, take up your cross, follow me. And Paul says, follow me now, guys, as I show you how to follow Christ. And this is what it looks like. What about us? Should we expect to suffer? Philippians 129, Paul says, For you have been given, granted, it says in some translations, not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, hallelujah, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Paul calls it a privilege to suffer. That's not the way I usually think. Going to prison is not something, I would see that as something, no, that's wrong. I know there's a pastor put in prison up in, in Canada right now because he had church services when the government said, don't have them because of COVID. And uh, everybody's all upset. I think Paul would say, hallelujah, brother. I spent some time there. I thought a lot of joy in that place. I thought God gives me my way in that place. Rejoice, don't complain. Don't whine and cry. This is what you're called to. Luke 6, 22 and 23. What blessings await you when people hate you? I'm reading, by the way, from the New Living Translation because I've kind of discovered it recently and I like it. And so you may recognize these, not recognize, but it gives a fresh, freshness to it for me. Not that it's ever stale, but you know what I mean. Listen to this. What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man. What? Excuse me. When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy. Don't just be calm. That's right. Leap for joy. For a great reward awaits you yeah. in heaven. We've got to adjust our thinking because of the times we're living in. Persecution is coming. And we've got to be ready for it. We've got to guard our hearts and minds with the full teaching of the Word of God about what it means to be in Christ. For a great reward which you in heaven and remember their ancestors, your ancestors, treated the ancient prophets the same way. If you're going to be one who stands for the Word of God, you're going to be persecuted. Don't worry about it. It's nothing new. Always been the case. That's what Paul says. Look back. I'm not telling you something new, something strange. Because says, don't 
Don't think it's strange when fire trials come upon you. Don't be surprised that this is what happens to people who follow Jesus. But we have lived in a bubble. And the bubble is bursting. So I ask this question to the Lord. Lord, why does it have to be this way? Why can't we just live like the Christ life the way we want to define it? Why are you defining it this way? I don't like it. I don't want it. I know what you tell me. I just read it. You tell me I'm supposed to be happy about this. What do you enjoy about this reality? It's a reasonable question, isn't it? God's God. Why did he make it where our life in this world is a life of suffering? When we're king's heads. I've asked Josh anytime he wants to take a break. I'd love to have a, a week or two to, to, to talk about the kingdom of God. Because uh, we're citizens, citizens of that kingdom. It's not of this world. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are higher. My thoughts are higher. That's what we're seeing here. But the kingdom of God is overlapping the kingdoms of this world right now. Amen? When Jesus came, he brought the kingdom into the world a whole new life. But he has not consummated that kingdom yet. That's why the world is still in the state of it. That's why when we pray, sometimes people get healed, and sometimes they die. Because the kingdom is not here in its fullness yet. It's important to understand that when you get real confused about what you see. Try and figure it out. Why is it this way? I'm going to give you about quickly as I can, mainly scriptures, seven or eight reasons, okay? This is why we can leap for joy and suffer. Are y'all still doing okay? Yeah. Are you glad you came today or you wish you had? <laughs> <laughs> First of all, suffering is a means by which we identify with Jesus and become like him. Colossians 1.24 I am glad when I suffer for you in my body. For I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body the church. Paul saw all of his suffering as suffering for the people of God. And he saw his identity with Jesus. Because what did Jesus do? He suffered for us. Follow me. In my suffering. Philippians 3.10 I want you to know I know. Oh this is right. I want to know Christ. You want to know Christ? You want to really know him? I do. You know what I feel like? I barely scratched the surface. Do you ever feel that way? The depths are so deep. And the things we're talking about here, I think, is, is a deeper place when you experience things that aren't in this fancy, cushy bubble we've experienced in our Christian life. He says, I'm going to know Christ and experience the mighty God that raised him from the dead. Amen. That's the nature. And I want to suffer with him. Paul, be quiet. And I want to suffer with him, sharing his suffering and death. Paul saw his suffering as identification with Jesus. We're talking about our identity in Christ. Paul said, This is my identity in Christ. I suffer with him. So that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection. See, death leads to life, suffering leads to resurrection. In our, in our view of the world. 
Because we are no longer dead. We're alive in Christ. But we're dead to this world. We're dead to our own selfish wants and desires. Even our own lives. Secondly, suffering is an opportunity to identify with Jesus and demonstrating the true gospel of love. Matthew 6, 43-47 You have heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I'm going to read that again. We're Christians. The law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. How much are we living under the law? But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? I don't know about you. I start out saying how much I love you. Love the church. Love the fellowships of the saints. That's not... You don't need the power of God to do that. Even corrupt tax collectors do as much. says here. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anybody else? Even pagans do that. So, let's pat ourselves on the back of how we love one another. What about our enemies? What about those who are going to start persecuting us? When we love those people, what I see in the Word is that's when the power of God is displayed in us. That's when we identify with Jesus in loving the same way He loved. Because He said, I came to you when you were my enemies. Suffering teaches us to rely on God. 2 Corinthians 1, 8-9 We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought that we would never live through it. He's talking heavy stuff. In fact, we expected to die. But, as a result of that, we stop relying on ourselves and learn to rely only on God who raises the dead. Did you hear that? Why does God ordain suffering for his children in this fallen world? So we can learn to rely on him in ways we can never otherwise do. And you know that in your life, don't you? Ron Lee, you've learned that a lot this year. Everyone else will have a story about how if we have not gone through the suffering we've experienced, we would not know God like we do. And yet we have suffering in a category that we don't like it. Well, Paul says, I want to know you. You want to know? Jump for joy. And God allows suffering to come to you. Always remembering his suffering, suffering is never punitive for us. Never. Right? It's not punishment. It's unity. It's identity with our Savior. Suffering means is a means of delivering us from our sinful behavior. As far as our practice of sin. 
First Peter 4, 1 through 3. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, this first Peter 4, 1 through 3, since Christ suffered physical pain, you, listen to this, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude that he had. We've got to arm ourselves with this attitude and be ready to suffer as well. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your life chasing, this is what he means by finish with sin, you won't spend the rest of your life chasing your own desires, but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. You will have had enough. Uh, you had enough in the past of evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. When you suffer, those things go away. Because the things that really matter come to the fore and rise to the top. So the things that used to draw you in do not do so any longer because you've been stripped down to the bare essentials of life. Me and Jesus, like the song we heard today. <laughs> suffering demonstrates God's, another one, our suffering demonstrates God's power and Christ's life at work in us. 2 Corinthians 4, 8-12 Paul says We are pressed on every side by troubles but we are not crushed. We are perplexed but not driven to despair. We are hunted down but never abandoned by God. Hear that? We get knocked down but we are not destroyed. Through suffering our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. The power of God that causes us to endure through suffering uh, purifies us. Not just over the sins of the flesh, but it, it, it demonstrates the power of God working through us. In that we love our enemies, in that we are not knocked down, or ultimately fall because of the troubles we experience. Yes, he goes on to say, we live under constant danger of death. Isn't it funny when you hear all these scriptures lined up? Did you ever realize them that much? I'm only scraping the surface about this kind of statement in the New Testament. He goes on, yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus. So that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. Life and death. We suffer so that the life of Jesus it's just like, wait, but who's the, the, the guy that broke the pots? Right? Gideon. And won the victory. Who tell me out? Thank you, Gideon. <laughs> you know, had all those thousands, got down to 300, and they surrounded the camp of the enemy. They had the, the candles in the pots. And at the proper time, what do you do? You break the pot. Bang. That's us. We're the pot. And then the light shines out. And what happened? Victory. Victory. Our suffering in this world helps us long for our great future home. Second Corinthians 4.18 For this light, I love the way Paul describes all this suffering, we just read about it. For this light and momentary affliction, that's perspective, is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Amen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Oh, yeah. So Paul's 
puts his, he can call all of his suffering light and temporary because of where his focus is. Amen? And there are many examples of that in the New Testament. Are y'all still with me? I'm almost done. Preachers should never say that. I'm not really at the end, but I'm close, okay? <laughs> suffering demonstrates that God is our great treasure. And I've saved the best for last. Matthew 13, 44 and 46. With many parables, you've heard them. Listen to them. Jesus spoke this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. The man is discovered hidden in a field. And in his excitement and joy, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get, up, get enough money to buy the field that has that treasure. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on a look, on lookout for choice pearls. And when he discovered a pearl of great value, the greatest value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. This truth about heaven, and you and I as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, is so powerful. It's not about us. Nothing is about us. Now, truly, we are the beloved of God. He knows the hairs on our head. He goes before us and behind us with his hand on us. Yes, yes, yes. But all that he does for us, all our blessings, all his intimacy with us, has one great ultimate purpose. His glory. For him to be seen as the great treasure. So our life, in light of that, it's consumed and being able to see our suffering and our death is bringing him glory. Just like Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Acts 5, 40 and 42. And when they had called the apostles, this is the Sanhedrin, they've been preaching those scoundrels, telling people Jesus is king and all that. So they called them in, put them on trial. And they were going to let him go this time. And so when they called the apostles back in, they beat them, of course, and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Shut your mouth. That's what the world's telling us right now. Don't talk about it. <laughs> then they left the presence of the council. Beat, bruised, bloody. What did they do? Rejoicing. They left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is. They preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Amen? They were not intimidated. Brothers and sisters, we cannot be intimidated. It may cost us our life, but we cannot be intimidated. We're there. Get ready. Get that same mind in you that's in Christ Jesus. Take up your cross. Follow me. And listen, historically, the church thrives in times of suffering and persecution. And flounders in long seasons of favor. That's fact. You and I by God's sovereign will and purpose and plan for each of us as we live in this day and this time, 
We are at the end of a long season of favor. And I believe we're only going to begin to see the depths of what it really means to take up our cross and follow Christ. And as Paul said, I want to know you. And all that power of the resurrection and the fellowship of your sufferings, because it's got to go together. We must not be afraid of it. We must rejoice over all that God's going to do in us, individually and as a church, because of the persecution that lies ahead. It's coming. And I'll just throw this in. I'm not going to get up on a theological tangent. Don't think you're going to be raptured and you don't have to worry about it. it ain't going to happen. There's going to be a, we're going to meet the Lord there. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> There's a promise that you'll meet the Lord in the air before you live a true Christian life. We have an American theology. We think we have a right not to suffer. No, we don't. We do not have that right. Nor should we want it. Before you start throwing things at me, I want to finish with this. It kind of sums up the victory and the death and the glory all together. It's from the glorious book of Romans in chapter 8. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. I'm going to read uh, a pretty sizable section. But I hope you'll just take a deep breath, go with me, and listen to the word of the Lord. Starting in verse 18 of Romans 8. Yet, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will give us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, everything on earth was subjected to God's curse. We'll talk about earlier. All creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And even we Christians, although we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, we also groan and long to be released from pain and suffering. We too wait anxiously for that day when God will give us our full rights as his children. Don't have them yet. Claim them all you want, but you do not have the full rights as children yet in a practical sense. You still got to suffer. It's coming. We taste it, we experience it, but it's not an argument. And it will include the new bodies that he has promised us. Amen. Stop amen somebody. New bodies. Now that we are saved, we eagerly look forward to this freedom. For if you already have something, you don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. He's talking about the now and the not yet of the kingdom. Verse 26. And the Holy Spirit, hallelujah, helps us in our distress. But we don't even know what we should pray for. Know how we should pray. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for the believers in harmony 
with God's own will. Hallelujah. And we know God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. How many things? Everything. Does that include the positive and the negative? All our identity in Christ? For those who love God and are called according to His purpose. For God knew His people in advance. He chose them to become like His Son, so that His Son would be the firstborn with many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, He called them to come to Him and gave them right standing with Himself. And He promised them His glory. Do you, you see what you miss? That's a great positive statement right there. <laughs> I think one translation says, and all things are yours. <laughs> uh, uh, all things are working together for our good. We're chosen. We're called. Uh, we're in right standing. But listen to what he goes on and says. What? It's, it gets even better for many here. What can you say about such wonderful things as these? Hallelujah. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since God did not spare even His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, won't God, who gave us Christ, also give us everything else? There it is. All things are ours because of Christ. Who dares accuse us who God has chosen for His own? The world accuses us. Don't pay attention to it. Hello. Will God accuse you? No. There's no condemnation in Christ. He is the one who has given us right standing. Who, who then will condemn us? Will Christ Jesus? No. For He is the one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, and is sitting at the place of the highest honor next to God, pleading for us. Yeah. I appreciate it. You pray for me. My greatest comfort is the fact that I know Jesus is always praying for me. And I know God here is his version. Amen? And then Paul, without skipping a beat, says this. Take it. That great victorious statement. Listen. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? No. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? No. Or are persecuted? No. Or are hungry or cold or danger or threatened with death? No. Even the scripture says, for your sake, Lord, we are killed every day. Paul said, I die daily. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Now why do we say that? All this victory talk. Because it all goes together, folks. Verse 37, no. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Despite all these things. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't, life can't, the angels can't, and the demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell cannot keep God's love away. Whether we are high above the sky or deep in the ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, that's good stuff. <laughs> that is good stuff. Well, my brothers and sisters, I don't know if you say this is a prophetic message, but get ready. 
adjust the way you think and it means adjust. Your identity is in Christ. All that Christ did, all that Christ is, all that Christ suffered is who we are in this world. Death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? It doesn't matter what happens to us. We have one great purpose. To show that the greatest treasure of our lives is Jesus Christ. We will not forsake him, but he won't forsake us. I will stand on the truth of Jesus no matter what cultural pressures come in against me and mock me and, and try and press me down and try and shut my mouth. No matter what it costs, those who are disciples will take up their cross and follow. Amen. If you don't know Christ today, I'm glad you were here. Some people might say, we don't want lost people to hear that. They might not come to Jesus. Forget that. That's nonsense. Jesus is going to bring who he's going to bring. And people need to come and understand that they need to count the cost. When Christ bids me, he bids me come and die. But the only way to life is death. If you live your life for this world, you're dead. You're dead. And if you give up your life in this world for his sake, that's the only place life is. So if you're here and you want to live, embrace the death of Christ. And he will work that death out in your life. You will find everything you've ever wanted. Those of us who know Christ, let us leap for joy that we are in him. Everything works together for our good. Father, thank you that your word makes us tremble. Don't ever let us come to your word and put ourselves over it and say, well, I know better. I think that's wrong. Lord, we come under your word and under the teaching of your spirit. And we embrace all that you are and all that you call us to be. To be better than this Lord. To be yours. Holy Spirit, do the work in us that needs to be done to prepare us, to equip us, to give us your mind for these days ahead. And we know you will. You've done it to our ancestors. You will do it for us. You're doing it for brothers and sisters. Today as we sit here in peace, in parts of the world that are suffering greatly. And you will do it for us. The Lord, fill us fresh with your spirit. Continue to save us, Lord, with each new day, making us more and more like your beloved Son. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.